0: Oh, my God. Hello and welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am joined with Martin Kandu-Willis.
1: I can do, I can do, I can do.
0: I can do yes. anything. I don't even think that's the right word for that song, but um, yeah, you can do yeah. it. And because you... Get out there and you're a doer. You know what? We were complaining about um, p- some people on social media. And so much of the big complainers, that's what they do. That's it. You know, they're not out there really doing. And uh, I think that's important. They're complaining, Complaining. Yeah. But that's not no, tough. Anybody do that can idea. do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty easy. Yeah, it's really easy. It's It's harder to like... You know, tackle all the stuff that you do. I was talking about you. Oh, it's race. I saw race this weekend. But actually, before, I'm going to get into that. But first, I want to tell you who my guest is today. Great. Oh, I'm you're going to, to be it. shocked and amazed. Really? Great. Because it's you. <laughs> This show is just going to be Martin and I talking about news and some of the latest things that have been going on. So sit back and relax, and uh, we're just going to have a good time here. Now, I do want to say I have some exciting interviews coming up. I have Nick Pope for next week. Uh, of course, he's got some of the government documents that he has discovered. I, I saw him this weekend, and we talked something about that, and he's got a r- lot of really important news to talk about this. He's going to be on some other show, and he promised this show, which is it's a really big show, so I don't blame him. But I'm not going to say the name because I don't want you to listen because I want you to hear all this stuff first on my show. But um, you you might already know if you follow Nick Pope. But uh, Nick Pope used to work for the UK uh, investigating UFOs, and he recently got some information from the DoD about uh, the Pentagon project that was revealed by the New York Times, so we're going to talk about that, and there's a lot of really great points and nuances in these documents that Nick has pointed out that are really important, so we're going to talk about that, and then, speaking of the uh, ATIP program, sometime in the next couple of weeks, hopefully the the, uh, week after that, I'll be interviewing Mr. Lou Elizondo. So it's about time. Yeah, I know, and I I haven't harassed him on it. He's always said, "Oh, we got to do an interview. We got to do that. We got to do that." So um, he actually gave me a call because I hadn't heard from him for a while, and and uh, we just were catching up. And I said, "Hey, uh, would now be a good time?" He said, "Definitely. This is a great time." So um, so we worked. We're working on scheduling that, and I asked some people in uh, the Open Minds UFO News Group what kind of questions you would like me to ask. And of course, I invite all of you listeners to do so as well. You can email contact at openminds.tv or just email. Uh, yeah, that will work. Or you can email me at alejandrotrojas uh, at gmail.com. And uh, let me know what your questions are, and I'll get those in front of him. Now, a lot of people, unfortunately, and this is kind of funny, don't they ask? – they're asking questions – That don't pertain to what he does Um, and so I know the answer is going to be I don't know about that or I have nothing to do with that and it's interesting to me that people do that Um, of course any speaker knows often when you do a whole talk on a topic that's really interesting and then you open the floor for questions often people start asking you about stuff that has nothing to do with what you just reviewed or sometimes nothing to do with you know anything you know anything about and uh i don't know people just do that
1: yeah now when i met him last summer um i was all set i i had arranged to have this um dinner where you could ask him questions you know it was sort of like a one-on-one type thing and uh he got whisked away uh there was some type of family situation now i never got to do it i was really looking forward to that and i had a question um, to ask him, so I am going to try to dig that up. I can't remember what it what it was. Um, the only thing he'll remember about the conversation he and I had in the hallway there was um, talking about collectibles and what mm. he collects and stuff like that. He's oh. he's
0: pretty fascinating. Yeah, he's cool. He's a regular dude, you know. Um, and that's what I'm excited to do. So we're going to have him at the U- the uh, Congress, and uh, but. I'll say this, you know, in interviews, I feel that's when he reveals the most interesting information. So Mm -hmm. I think we'll have a lot of interesting information in my interview coming up here. Uh, but by the time the UFO Congress comes around in early September, we'll have him again. But, uh, I'm going to do a Q and a with him. And I know some of my colleagues will probably be jealous about that, but, uh, we'll of course have open mic, but, uh, I want to do my crack, And I think, you know, I want to do my best to, to really grill him. Uh, you know, we're familiar with each other, but uh, in a way that's comfortable to him to see how much we can get out of him, you know, because right. that's what people want is some of the most, um, some information that is new that he hasn't shared before. Mm-hmm. And information, mm-hmm. there's a lot he can't share. But right. if you ask the right questions, there are aspects of those those topics that he can answer but if you ask him to do a talk, he's not going to go there. Some people have said, yeah. oh, you know, he did a lecture and it was kind of boring like that or because he's just like promoting to the stars. But that's, that's what he does. So if you really want pointed answers to certain questions, you've got to go there and then yes. kind of massage it and work around the topic to get everything you can. Um, so, yeah. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, if only we could know what he really knows, you know?
0: Yeah, I you know mean, I mm. think what he really knows is, I think you can kind of know. We we certainly won't know everything he really knows, but the most revealing piece of information. Now, what we're going to review with Nick Pope is interesting, and it has generated some headlines and, yeah. uh, and I do implore people, if you're not, I, I've got my live show that I do on YouTube, and it's on my Alejandro Advantage YouTube um, channel. And I hope you watch that at some time. Of course, if you don't watch it live, you can catch it afterwards. But I review in detail, you know, all of the news of the week. And so this information that Nick Pope shared in this document he received, there was another organization, the Federation of American Scientists, who received these documents, and these were kind of papers, products that came out of this ATIP study that Lou ran. So we have an insight into kind of more of the science that they're looking into, but what they're looking into is very telling, and that's what we're going to talk with Nick. But there's the whole aspect of the UFO end. The only product, and it wasn't included in this list, but um, that we have been able to see on that end is that leaked Nimitz document that, of course, I talked with Dave Beatty about. I know you've had some recent, uh, quite a few recent interviews on the whole Nimitz situation as well, where I'm sure you all have referenced that document. That's the only by the military. For the military report from that A tip that we've seen, so I think, and it is terribly interesting uh, if you've heard our past interviews. But I think that what Lou knows is there's just a lot more of those reports, and that's essentially what he told me is there's a lot more of that. There's other cases. He says that just as, are just as good, if not better. But that's kind of the the idea. So. It's almost like this Project Blue Book show, you know, where they're covering a great case every week. It's like we've seen one episode of the um, Mm A-Tip show, you know, which is Nimitz. So there's other episodes, uh, who knows how many, or even if there's a full season's worth, using that (laughs) metaphor. But um, there's just a lot of other great episodes, and that would be interesting, um, but like Blue Book, you know, it's not necessarily that they retrieved a crashed saucer or something, but observed and recorded some incredible cases um, and incidents. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you just wonder,
1: you wonder how many are there, and, you know, I think there's still something going on as far as them, you know, doing the research. So you just wonder how, you know, how many of these cases they're paying attention to now. You know, like nothing really comes to mind as far as like big sightings except for when it involves the airlines. There has been a couple, you know, within the last few months. But Mm -hmm. um, just wondering how much they're still doing the research and if there's anything, you know, they're researching deeply into.
0: Yeah, I know. And, you know, this organization has essentially no resources so they're um more of a data retrieval kind of and perhaps a an an analyst sort of group than anything which is what intelligence is about i mean if you watch mm-hmm. that show like jack ryan or something and you hear analysts the cia has a bunch of analysts because what all these people are doing is usually looking at sets of information that they're getting from the field and they're using that information to understand what's going on about a particular thing. Like what Lou worked on was terrorism, kind of like Jack Ryan, you know, that television show. where mm-hmm. um, And uh, I read all those Tom Clancy books. So, you know, he talks about the analysts, how they're grabbing the data and they're trying to figure something out. And then sometimes they're able to discover, hey, it looks like, you know, this group is doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, that indicates maybe they're building a bomb, you know, and so we got to check into this. And it's the same sort of thing they're gathering. And we see this in that report because that report didn't do any real investigation. What it did, though, was gather testimony, which is good. It's an investigation from witnesses. And then also, given that testimony, questioned people like the submarine uh, that were part of the um, uh, carrier strike group to... See if there was any correlation there or anything that could corroborate what the others had seen or give them more information about whatever phenomena they were dealing with. But um, that's essentially what they're doing. But it's it's, because uh, it's of that nature, you know, all it can be is kind of analysis uh, as opposed to, you know, being able to do some hands on research. Uh, The other thing that I think is important is that. You know, we have uh, this atom project where Two the Stars now is trying to examine the uh, material, these metamaterials uh, or materials that have uh, been allegedly retrieved from UFO incidents to determine whether or not these materials are anomalous or not. I think that's telling in that. Since Lou is doing this work, there's been, and, and in his interviews, there's been no indication that there has been any material um, besides someone met, mentioned retrieved. And what we know about, at least this material that was retrieved, that there's analysis still ongoing. Um, so it, it kind of lends to the idea that n- no anomalous material has yet been you know, fully analyzed or probably discovered by the ATIP group. I think that um, that's what it it seems. And we can ask Lou, you know, more specifically, and I think we have essentially, but uh, that still lends to most of what they've done is kind of analysis. Um, But those files have to be fascinating. Oh, I'm sure. Nimitz is an amazing case. So if they have cases better than that, holy cow. Right.
1: Now, forgive me if I'm getting this mixed up or wrong or we've already talked about it in the past, but does this have to do with what is supposed to be housed at Bigelow?
0: Bigelow's? That is, um, yeah. That's one yeah. of the items. That's one of the pieces of material. But they have others as well, uh, some that have been brought to them by uh, mm. other UFO witnesses outside of ATIP, and uh, I think some that uh, other UFO researchers have obtained as well. So, yeah, and I think they're preparing to at least give the public some more information. There is uh, rumors about television shows and stuff. So uh, there might be a show that kind of talks a little bit about what they're looking into coming up here. So we'll see. Mm -hmm.
1: One of the things that people often say to me, um, and I'm sure you probably hear it too, is, you know, whatever it is, got all the way here. How? Could, why would it? Pop, why on earth would it crash? You know, is that? You know, I, I mean, agree
0: personally. I personally, and I've said this many times, and I'm sure you know some people don't like it, but uh, well, I'm honest. I don't see it. I don't see crashes happening. Uh, in fact, let's say Roswell was a truly crashed extraterrestrial spacecraft, an advanced technology. I think if that had crashed uh, and there was some sort of, you know, and they didn't want to interact with us at all, then I think they would very easily be able to retrieve it. I mean, uh, it, they, since it had crashed, it could probably even just fly in a saucer, pick up everything, even if there are some ar- army guys standing there, you know, with their jaws on the ground watching this <laughs> happen, and then fly off. And nobody, the Army, first of all, probably isn't going to say anything. Even if those guys who saw this did say something, nobody's going to believe them. And um, it would be problem solved. So if, I think there's a strong, uh, using that kind of perspective, I think there's a strong personally argument to be made that if there was truly a crash and we retrieved um, that material and we're allowed to keep it, then we were given It wasn't a crash. It was, here's some Mm. technology. Here you go. For whatever reason, you know, we feel you're ready to move to the next level of tech or whatever. And, I mean, if Colonel Corso, who was in the Army, who claims he received some of that material, is telling the truth, then a lot of the technology that we use to this day and have advanced us to where we are uh, technologically is due to the back engineering uh, or incorporation of some of that technology that they got from Roswell, and so you know it has had a major effect on on our growth and evolution. So maybe they are helping push us along, or maybe it hasn't happened at all, and there hasn't ever been a crash. So I don't know. What do you think? Well,
1: one of the theories, of course, is that it's um, you know a drone or drone piloted or. Self replicating drone or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, for the when it comes to them trying to deal with the the space time or the space, you know, travel and all that speed Mm -hmm. of light. So I don't know, you know, there's all I I think we're thinking about the whole thing in a human
0: way, and who knows what the the real answer is. Yeah, yeah, those are all good points. I mean, uh, and there's been lots of speculation that, you know. And it would make sense. And a lot of scientists are even more um, ready to adopt this idea. In fact, Seth Shostak has even talked about it. Uh, And so has that Columbo guy or Columbus, you know, who, who wrote this paper for the the SETI Institute convention that, you know, we keep thinking that any beings out there wouldn't be able to survive this trip. But, uh, you know, a, A robot essentially could. So who's to say there aren't drones? And uh, people seem to be more open to that idea. Um, So that's a possibility as well. Of course, if there's a ton of them, you'd think there might be uh, several crashes or something like that if that does happen. But uh, who knows, huh? Right. Now, do you think that Lou would be privy to anything that to the
1: stars? is uh, working on, are they compartmentalized as far as, you know, the materials and things like that? Or do you think that they kind of share the information that they're not letting out to the public with, you know, between the people involved?
0: I'm pretty sure they share it with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems that way. It doesn't sound like they're compartmentalizing uh, from each other. Uh, I don't completely know how the structure works, but there's a pretty small group. So, I hmm. think they're all working together pretty closely because they are a small group. so
1: now, I know you and you and I have talked about this before, and mostly you about their becoming uh, if they're going to become more transparent when it comes to something like this, what do you think would happen if they actually you know studied the material and ended up being something they couldn't you know they they just couldn't identify as something that was you know human made or made on earth?
0: Mhm. Well, I think that a lot of people would say you got to tell people right now, but I I don't think that's the wisest way to do it. And I know people get frustrated by that, but uh it's just it's best to have all your ducks in a row before coming out. So for instance, um you know, it would be wise for them to have the, like scientists do develop a complete paper for peer review, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes your argument as strong as possible, so that you can get it out there, and then you know, then you you have your your strongest argument coming out first, and that takes a lot of time to develop, especially if you, um, for instance, it's often that you need to do many pieces of analysis. One analysis you do shows that this nature uh, this you know is anomalous that justifies then you doing more research and if you continue to get these anomalous you know results then uh then you're pushed to do more and more and more um which all bolsters your case that something is odd about what it is you're you're looking at so The better the case, the longer it is going to take to investigate and analyze, and so it's going to take a longer time to develop that um, paper or argument that it is something uh, demonstrating what analysis you did and why you think um, it's anomalous. So it's just going to take a lot of time. So I think that uh, that's the thing is that if they did have something, they wouldn't share it. I think it would be wise for them not to share it beyond maybe saying something like, uh, we do have some promising leads, and we're working on those, and we're working towards sharing more information on the, with the public on this uh, as soon as possible. Uh, that's no, the, I
1: understand. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying about you know doing it the right way. Uh, I'm just wondering, even if it's done the right way, how much of a blip is this? You know, would something like that make would people consider it serious enough? Do you think, or do you think they would just say, "Well, that's just saying that they don't." That's just saying they have no idea how it's made, and that's it. It's not going to, you know, we. I can't think it assume. will be a
0: serious split. Here's why. You do. I okay. think that who is saying it matters a lot. So, for mm-hmm. instance, if you or I—no offense to you, but it's the same for me—if I was to say, "Open Minds TV has done this analysis, and here's what we found." Um and i think we have we have a pretty good reputation with the mainstream so but even then you know it's not as big of a deal but when you have you know um somebody connected to the mellon family or the mellon you know dynasty you have these ex intelligence people you have somebody who ran a department for the dod investigating this stuff when a group like that comes out and says we have scientific evidence that this this anomalous material is created by an intelligent uh, an intelligence that is off planet, I think that's a big deal. Um, just like if any other scientific organization, like if SETI was to say we think we found something, I think that is a big deal. And so it will get a lot of attention. It'll get a lot of scrutiny, which is good. That's what you want. You want to encourage. You know, the scientific organization, SETI, others, to challenge your assumptions because uh, that means they're taking it seriously. And um, and then you go from there. So I think from this group, it will be a big deal.
1: Now, do you think uh, – this is probably a question you may not even want to answer. But do you think that um, Tong Delong's, and DeLong's involvement um, with this
0: would – take away from it no i don't think so at all and i think that's what a lot of people in the ufo field are kind of missing is that you know uh and we have plenty of evidence of this that it won't have an effect because tom got those doors opened in the first place why and what is his role and i think that's what people need to to think about. In the professional world, you know, we all have titles and the reason you have those titles, it's because that's what your expertise is. That's what you bring to the table. Tom DeLong is a rock star. So essentially what he brings to the table is a perspective from the youth and a media perspective, not a scientist or an expert or or anything like that. He brings that media connection, and I think that's what his importance is. But uh, we do have to go to break. But I want to elaborate more on this because I think this is an excellent question that the UFO field is just getting wrong. And I'm going to justify my answer when we come back from the break. You're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio. We're here with Martin Willis. Yo, Martin. <laughs> Yo. We'll be right back from this break. Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we have with us Martin Willis of Podcast UFO. I forgot what I oh, can do. Yeah. You're, I was oh, yeah. telling you to Martin, say
1: mush brain. Martin
0: was, mush brain Willis.
1: That's right. Yeah. You don't sound Over- too mushy brained. Well, I'm hanging in by a thread. But, but uh, yeah.
0: getting back to the Tom DeLonge thing, is, uh, you know, we were all doubtful when he said that he was talking to insiders in the government and right. uh, mm-hmm. in the military, but it turned out he w- it really was going on. And if you read some of that stuff, it seems like this sense that they like the idea, and um, he had talked about this, of him being an outlet to the youth to try to get an interest in science um, piqued by people out there. So, uh, you know, that's Tom's rule. Tom is seen by the mainstream. And, and here's my argument as to, you know, why the evidence that, that I'm right about this is, first of all, he was taken seriously by the military and and others uh, in moving all this along. Second of all is in the media reaction. The media reaction has been, you know, to make fun of him and to tease, especially some of the things he said, but it hasn't had a negative effect on the group as a whole, or Lou Elizondo personally, they're all being taken very, very seriously because they have titles and positions that uh, warrant that. You know, someone who mm-hmm. is a defense intelligence uh, expert and advisor, um, such as Mellon or, you know, Elizondo, who's an intelligence uh, for the Pentagon, they're the ones who you're going to get the technical information from, not. Tom, Tom is going to be like the marketing guy in any company who you know is kind of full of it, and it's just you know there to say hey rah rah and this is cool and this is great and to keep the energy going and to keep uh, communication and connections with people going. But that's not the expert. In fact, when a salesperson or a marketing person tells you X, Y, and Z about the tech, you know anybody savvy in a corporation is going to say yeah right, and then actually go to the tech people to confirm whether or not. That's true because typically they're going to be told, well, you know, out of all those points, most of those are inaccurate. But here's the the real beef behind what, what it is. Um, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, I don't think it, it doesn't appear as though that has been jam- damaging up until this point. If there are some major campaigns uh, to discredit the groups in the future, which could happen, you know, they may use that uh Tom against them, but uh yeah, so far we haven't seen it, I don't think.
1: Yeah, the the, the Joe Rogan podcast is the one I'm sure you... Uh, I mean, I've gotten so many emails about that, and yeah. that it just didn't go well. It was not a good idea.
0: No, not at all, and I... I, I uh, we see that Tom kind of feels that, too, and that he has not mm-hmm. been out in the media at all, right? since that occurred. Uh, yeah, so I've, it's been like a year and a half since we've heard from him. Yeah, I think that was sometime... It, I
1: think it was actually in 2017 when
0: mm-hmm. when
1: he was actually on the Joe Rogan show. I don't remember exactly when Yeah, it was, it was like
0: but, mid to late 2017, um, right. which, of course, it was October 2017 when they announced to the stars. And I believe it was just before that. Oh, it
1: was just before that. Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Wow. Yeah. So that's good. You know, I mean,
1: I was, you know, they are, like you said, the team for the most part is pretty amazing Mm -hmm. and that's really has you know it has a lot of people talking about you know their backgrounds and wow you know this is being taken serious by these people
0: so Mm -hmm. it is good and the ufo field you know i it's unfortunate because i think there's a a level of professionalism and and uh who was i talking to this with i don't remember who but there is this disconnect i think where the they are not uh, many of them are not seeing things from uh the perspective of like uh, the mainstream, which is damaging, because if you know we want to be taken seriously, then you have to understand that, and um, you know they. I think that just there's a lot of people who are discounting the credibility, the very high level of credibility of this to the stars organization and the individuals involved. Um, it it's so high that even comments from the DOD's PR department uh, do not hold water as compared to Harry Reed or Lou Elizondo or others in the organization. And uh, we've seen that the media doesn't even reference the DOD PR department and uh, they don't need to because there's mm-hmm. ample evidence of, of everything that they have said And these documents that we're going to talk to Nick Pope about uh, are even further, you know, confirming that exactly what they said is true. And they also confirm um, similar leaked documents that George Knapp from KLAS in Las Vegas had been able to share um, months ago.
1: Now, do you actually feel uh, comfortable teasing a little bit Nick Pope's for you? Depends on what. No, no, I just want to, I want to hear, I mean, it seems to me, I mean, I looked into it a little bit. It was actually going to be something I was going to talk about, like a news, you know, story. Um, but anyway, it, it sure seems to me on the outside so far without, I haven't been able to actually read the documents. I know there, there's a copy online, but it's very tiny and hard to read. Um, sounds like, um, the technology, um, was taken serious and, uh, and it sounds like it's kind of geared to
0: extraterrestrial. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the point is that um, that's a big point. And I guess because um, you made that observation is that, you know, they're not talking about it. It's, the program is Advanced uh, Aerospace and Threat Identification Program. But uh, and they're not talking about foreign technologies. They're talking about space propulsion technologies. So mm-hmm. um, it goes to wonder, if you're looking at those documents and you're thinking, okay, what is the foreign um, technology they're looking at? It points to that this foreign technology is not Russian or Chinese, or, you know, there's no reference to that. What there is reference to is space, that this technology is space-related. So, exactly what you're talking about. So, that's another really important part of those papers.
1: There's even reference to the Drake equation, which, I mean...
0: Exactly. That kind of points it out right there. Exactly. And, you know, that's what uh, Nick Pope brought up to Tucker Carlson on Fox News, uh that exact unit you know, point is that uh if they're referring to the Drake equation, that right tell, there tells you the foreign parties that they're looking towards. Mm-hmm. So pretty
1: exciting. So I can't wait to have them. I can't wait to hear that interview. It should be great. Be
0: a lot of fun. Now, hey, I wanna hear from you if you don't mind sharing about some of your recent interviews. Because you've had some really cool people on um, to talk particularly about the Nimitz case, right? So, um, Yes. Yeah, could you share maybe – I think it's the last two shows you've had focused on that.
1: Well, I have this show coming up tomorrow uh, with um, uh, Robert Powell mm-hmm. uh, talking about any of the updates that he can share on the research on that. Um, so that will come up. But anyway, the last show I had, I had a, a former guest of yours on as well Tyler Rogaway and uh uh writes for the uh, warzone and I also had um Vincent I and he is a uh, former fighter pilot he's also a top gun uh trainer and uh he now is a commercial airline pilot and he really I asked him if he was going to have any trouble talking about UFOs uh you know, at, with his uh, career in any type of way. And he said, I don't you know, he wasn't worried about it at all Mm -hmm. and, uh, had some great conversations with him. And he actually has uh, the fighter pilot podcast where he interviewed David Fravor, um, directly about the Nimitz case. And it was basically pilot to pilot talking. So it's a really great interview. I think you said you had that posted somewhere, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I had that posted on the front page because, uh, yeah. I mean, how I think that's really important, and and so as a, a fellow, you know, a pilot, and um, how did he feel about Fravor's testimony? A hundred percent credible. He said mm. that.
1: Um, I like what he said. He said, you know, before he actually sat and talked face to face with with uh, Fravor. Um who was a friend you know a former friend and they were he was actually on uh, Vincent was actually on the USS Nimitz during the encounter remember oh, wow the, you know um so but but they were you, you know he didn't he would see him in passing there wasn't any direct contact
0: mm-hmm. at that
1: point um, but he does discuss you know what happened there was a uh, you know people teasing him there was a lot of ridicule um at that time you know because of the because of that but um, he said that uh, he, but prior to actually talking directly to David, that he thought you know UFO people were just wackos. He said, "I I hope <laughs> I don't offend anyone." He says, "But I do." He says, "But now I know that there's really something to this, and I think it's very interesting." Mm-hmm. He further went on to say, "You know, I asked him if he was going to, you know, look into the topic more, and he said it's kind of like, you know." golfing. It's something I might think is interesting, but he says, I'm not really, you know, And un- unless it circles back around again, he says, I'm not going to be exploring the topic. And I said, no, I'm not talking about on your show. I mean, personally, do you think that you might have more of an interest now that you think they're, you know, you think that David Traver is credible? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, not to be honest, you know, not, not really, you know? <laughs> so I think it's, hmm. I think that's kind of fascinating that he might I mean, to me, I think, you know, I can only I can only go by what I feel. And, you know, I just think it's such an important topic and uh, could mean so many changes in the world. Just that one thing, if there's actually intelligent life out there and we know it for sure. And it's actually visiting us. I mean, if that's really what it is, I think that's major. And, um, you so know, I'm a little surprised at that.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you. On the other hand, I can kind of see it because in a way, I mean, in a way, I even feel, um, and maybe you do too, I know Micah Hanks talks about this and I agree with him, you know, feeling agnostic about this whole field in that it's really interesting to look into and look into discoveries and advancements, but we may not, if not probably won't, really make much headway in our lifetimes. And, you know, if you're a real student of this field and you look at even people like Dr. J. Allen Hynek, he passed away without really knowing a whole lot more. Uh, And so have many, many researchers come and gone, some spending the majority of their lives looking into this without much, uh, a whole lot of knowledge necessarily, you know, like real understanding um, being gained. So, uh, however, it's still really interesting, and he may feel that way. It's just kind of like how we feel about, you know, he probably feels, let's say, and no doubt Tyler Rogaway does, about certain technologies that uh, they're really important, you know, certain jet propulsion or other technologies that are cutting edge, but we don't pay attention to it. Even though it may affect our lives in that, it Ah, makes air travel 10 times quicker and maybe 10 times safer for us in the next few years. But we're like, yeah, that's interesting. But we don't look into the details, um, even though it's something that will affect our lives. So I can see how, you know, we just all have our interests and in things that we're looking into. But it is funny. Some people in this field get really frustrated that others aren't like, you know, freaking out and talking about this every day. But uh, I can see why they wouldn't. You know, it's not really going to affect his life, except for, when he hears fellow pilots talking about UFO sightings, he may at least not make fun of them or take them more seriously.
1: Yeah. There's something I'm going to mention that uh, Tyler was talking about, but um, on, another thing though, I, I do, I do have to say a uh, commenting on what you just said there a minute ago. And that is um, you don't think, or you feel as though that you probably won't know in your lifetime. Um, I've always, I have said that many times on my show and felt that way also, but I don't know, lately I just seem to be having a feeling that we're going to know more and we're going to know more fairly soon. Now, mm. maybe people have said that for the last 70 years and, um, and like you said, passed away without knowing anything extra. But um, I just have that feeling. I, it just feels like things are, like the banana is being peeled back a little and, and more is being revealed. Now, I don't know.
0: Well, I think Um, we all have that feeling, and that's where things like 2012 happen. You know, we all feel something big's going to happen. So when people say 2012 is a year, something big's going to happen, that feels (laughs) right. That's got to happen. And then nothing (laughs) does. However, there is a little bit... There is something to your argument in that... and, And this is another thing that I feel, you know, with a lot of the UFO community. Not all of it, um, but a lot. There's this... uh. You know, what's going on right now has literally never happened in the UFO field. This amount of credible information and witnesses coming forward uh, about a secret program uh, or or these military encounters, this just has not happened like this in the past. The closest thing would be Blue Book, Project Blue Book, but Project Blue Book, as we know from... Uh, Edward Ruppelt's book, who ran Blue Book in 1952, began the 1952 final Blue Book project, a lot of the Air Force's stance was anti-UFO, to really kind of you know, get the public to quit being so fascinated with the topic, whereas that wasn't Lou's intention. In fact, theirs was the opposite, was to mm-hmm. actually t- look into the mystery of the whole topic. So it's a huge difference. And, you know, I think that... Like, for instance, it's fun because George Knapp is like a little kid in a candy store. He is so excited about this moment in life because he's worked so hard, you know, towards looking at this topic. And he's been a part of some major investigations that have been uh, revelatory. But uh, a lot of this information he felt would never get out. And uh, he didn't feel like, you know, we would have this level. And he really feels... Extremely excited and happy to be alive is the way he put it. That yeah. uh, during this time, where so much information is coming forward, and uh, I think that that's a, I think that that's a justified perspective, and I think it, um, you know, is an argument f- to justify your feelings too. That you know, more is happening right now, and more may continue, probably will continue, and so, you know, uh, it could. The information could ramp up exponentially.
1: Yeah, so I was saying just a minute earlier that I was going to talk about something Tyler Rogaway said, a couple things. Mm. First of all, as um, I think he mentioned on your show, you know, uh, throw out what is not, you know, what can be explained. That should be, he was calling himself a debunker. And I said, no, you're not. I think of a debunker as someone that. Uh, takes a hoax and disproves it i said you're you're just explaining what people are thinking as a ufo and he you know he's very he thinks that's very important and i do too you know and i like what he said he said there's so much um that can't be explained you don't need to you know hang on the stuff that can be explained
0: exactly and it just
1: takes up space
0: and i thought that was really good that is really good and it's a great point point. and i mean i know mark d'antonio you know the photo and video Mm. analyst from MUFON gets really frustrated when I talk about him debunking stuff, but he does. And I love it. And it's great because, uh, for that point right there, we need to get rid of the stuff that could be explained, focus on the truly anomalous because that's, you know, our efforts well spent, um, as opposed to wasting our time with stuff. And, And that's why it's exciting. I don't know. I think you feel this way, too. I get excited when something gets explained, even if it's mundane. Yeah. Because then we don't have to spend our time with that. We can focus That's on right. other better stuff.
1: Move on. Move mm-hmm. on to
0: the real stuff, if you can.
1: Yeah. And the second part of what he said, I think, is very interesting. And he was getting into the new technologies, you know, Black Project, things that we don't know about. He said that he has, um, you know, from what he, he um, researches, that we're going to be seeing things in the sky that are military um, that we're not going to be able to explain. He said, you know, we, there's going to be a lot more of what people are considering UFOs that, you know, may be just, you know, new technologies. And he said, you know, again, the, that the Air Force, as they have done in the past, may actually not mind if we call it a UFO. <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of a...
0: Uh, divert the attention of, uh, you know, of what it really is. Yeah, I mean, some people argue that that case, you can see this at um, the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, the SCU website, SEU-Online, that um, there's this case, you know, over, over Puerto Rico, um, actually at Open Minds, we got to, to kind of break the investigation of this case, and a lot of people argue that what is seen in this video that, um, you know, Mark, for instance, he hasn't put together his full argument, but he feels that he it is something mundane. Um, others, especially the investigators, do not. And and a lot of very credible people don't agree with him. But uh, some argue that what that is, is could be just that technology uh, that is being tested out there. And I, I think that's a great point. I mean, drones have shown that with they've got sparkly lights on them and people mistake mistake them for UFOs all the time. But, uh, you know, even with drone technology, the uh, military could be developing. Like, my drone is, is a spark, a DGA spark. Super tiny, but the lights are really bright. It can zoom around super fast. So, like, if the military souped up one of these things and let it autonomously, you know, fly a couple hundred miles across the country on its own, or even put it in a mode where it can go to an area, examine and photograph the entire area that is maybe a few hundred or thousand miles away, and then come back or, while it's transmitting the data that it's, you know, at the same time, it would look so tiny that you wouldn't recognize it as a as a military technology or something like that. So I think what he says makes a lot of sense.
1: Now, just for the listener out there, the Puerto Rico, uh, I know you've interviewed a couple of people on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Puerto Rico UFO was in... Uh, Aguadilla. Yeah, that was like in 2017 also, wasn't it? And um, Now, it, that it one was
0: th- earlier, Oops. what, 2000? Oh. When it occurred was something like 2009. When the paper came out was around oh, 2016 okay, right. or 17. And you know yeah. who was the, one of the top investigators of that was Robert Powell, who you're having on your show.
1: Right. And Larry
0: Cates. Larry Cates yeah. was one of those. Rich Hoffman, yeah. Morgan Beal, and... Oh, yeah, Rich Hoffman. Um, oh, man. And Carl Paulson. I think those were the leads. One or two other people I might be forgetting, and I apologize, but yeah.
1: Well, the the weird thing about that is it skimmed through the water never lost speed. I don't think there's anything... Yeah. I, I can't imagine technology that would do that.
0: Now, I... I think it's that's the part that is a little bit more difficult to prove whether or not that happened. If that did happen, that would be very significant. They feel mm-hmm. they can prove that pretty strongly, um, and maybe they can. But uh, even the aerodynamics, or at least the the flight path, that I think that you know they have demonstrated, and the other um, aspects, the physical aspects of of the the object um, are very unique, very strange, and that was a a gun camera too, right? That was gun camera, and this is an important mm-hmm. point, and that doesn't fit actually Mark's theory. Mark's theory is that it it's a balloon. So, um, and it is important, I think, to to review this theory because Mark makes a r- very excellent point on the nature of photography and um, videography when it comes to moving cameras. So you see this object traveling from the ocean over the land, uh, loops around, and then travels back out to the ocean. Well, uh, Mark points out that this aircraft is essentially doing a half circle around the object. So when you see the background Mm -hmm. moving quickly, that doesn't necessarily mean the object's moving quickly. He feels the object is actually moving very slowly. It's a balloon. And -hmm. that it gives the appearance of moving quickly, because the background is moving and he's got a good point because that is a phenomenon wow. i believe it's called parallax and that does oh, yes. give the wrong yeah. impression and that happens often but right after this break i'll make the argument as to why he uh i feel that and many others feel he's off on and uh, he's still working on proving his perspective but uh we've got to take another break We'll be right back after this short musical interlude, or for those of you listening on other outlets such as KGRA, um, you'll hear some commercials. Be right back. Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host Alejandro Rojas, and we have with us Mr. Martin Podcast UFO Willis. Can do, can with a can do attitude. Um. So here's where I think we just talked about the parallax, where uh, a slow-moving object can be looking fast on a video. However, uh, there is, I think, that the group argues, and I think very. I think they have a strong argument is that it appears this object is moving behind a pole um and so that that's a big deal uh that would demonstrate that it is moving and um you know when you do all the line uh, alignments and everything i mean it really does look like it is moving and what mark is also doing is discounting the witness testimony which as a video analyst or a photo analyst, you don't take into account the witness testimony. Hmm. So that's good for him to do. Here's why at least in one phase of your analysis, you don't want to take into witness a testimony. It's because if the data, if you just give this photo or video to an analyst like Mark, don't even tell them about the rest of the case and let them see what they determine. If they come back with an answer, That is similar to what the witnesses tell you, then you have a stronger case. Then you have better, you know, uh, corroboration or better uh, of of the story because that means the data that is able to be retrieved from the photo or video um, corroborates what the witness is saying. So that's what's really important Mm -hmm. that, that that piece of data, that photo or video has to stand on its own as far as if it's a good piece of evidence or not. So that's why that's important. But in this case, uh, we have the pilots of the Homeland Security or Customs uh, plane that uh, captured this. So we have some very credible witness data. And the credibility of the witness data is extremely important. Some people say, oh, you could put someone away with uh, witness testimony. But there's a caveat to that. There's a lot that goes into that. And expert testimony counts a hundred million times better than just a civilian novice testimony layman testimony Mm -hmm. in this case you can consider these pilots expert testimony but here's a part of their testimony that really blows marks uh the balloon theory out as well is that this whole thing started it was dark out and they saw a light they saw an illuminated object out in the ocean moving towards the land, and that's how this whole thing started. The light then turned wow. out, but they had aimed their cameras over there to capture, to see whatever this thing was, and they were at, able to capture it on their infrared um, while it was invisible to the naked eye because the light had gone out, and then they tracked this object. So wow. we have witness testimony that it traveled in the manner in which the SCU group estimates it did travel. So uh, their estimation does corroborate what the witnesses had said. And, of course, a balloon is not going to have a light on it uh, and that it can turn on and off. Um, And plus, Mm -hmm. the balloon was out over the ocean uh, and then moved into land and moved back to the ocean. So, um, yeah, I really think these guys... uh, are really onto something and and a lot of the military experts that have taken a look at it agree. So, uh, I think it's a really good case, but, um,
1: now did they get any radar returns on that?
0: No, no radar returns. Uh, Mm -hmm. but there was like at least one aircraft that was delayed because they were told that something, uh, was in the area, but we don't, I don't think we know exactly why. Of course, Robert Powell's the expert on this. He would know all the very minute details, but um, I don't think they gave a reason as to why that was delayed. Um, so they didn't say we had something on radar or anything like that. But, I remember uh, speaking...
1: Oh, pardon me, go ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say that I think Mar, uh, Robert was the one who was able to grab, at least do the investigation into the radar aspect.
1: I was just saying that I remember speaking with Bruce McAbee, um a number of years ago, and he said that um, the witness testimony was as important as the image, but I I understand the way you put that, and that is that you know first have them, you know look at the uh, data, f- and then and then you know I think that is important because that is you know something right in front of you, and, and then go ahead. I'm go sorry.
0: ahead. I was going to you know, say if if you were a Field investigator that worked with Bruce McAbee, you would be surprised he said that because it was frustrating. I was a field investigator when Bruce McAbee was the photo analyst before Mark mm-hmm. D'Antonio was. And that's where I learned this from, was from Bruce. Because I would send him stuff and he would say, well, it looks like this, this, and that. And, but he would not take into account the witness testimony. And so I would get really frustrated until I could discuss this with him and understand it better, um, because in his at least photo initial photo analysis, and that's different than the entire case as a whole. So for the photo analysis, he would do just what Mark said. He would not take into witness count testimony into account at all. He would look at it and say, and it was a good point because then I knew that even though this person took this picture of a light in the sky, uh at night there the, that data from that photo did not serve as good evidence to support what the witness was saying even though we get so excited oh my gosh we have a photo um it's really not big of a deal that's why photo analysis is our photos aren't really a, a lot of times great evidence or data to bolster a case because it doesn't support or it doesn't prove what the witness is saying so you're then left just to rely on the witness testimony on its own um because the the photo doesn't really land any it's an interesting thing it's interesting for the media and you know the layman who wants to look into the case but um it it it's not as interesting as a piece of evidence when you're analyzing whether it's a substantial piece of evidence so he did the same thing as mark but uh, I think what he was telling you is when you take a step back and you're looking at the case in, as a whole, that's when the witness testimony, you know, plays a mm. big role.
1: Yeah, I can't remember the exact context, but you're probably right. Yeah, because I used to get so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And uh, so
0: before, uh, and and that's how I learned it all, because I, I, was, I was like, you're not taking into account the witness testimony. And he's like, well, it just, from what the witness says... Um, and the evidence is showing in the photo. The photo just does not show anything. It's not conclusively anomalous at all, um, which is a great point, you know. Um, and that's the limitation to photos and videos. They got to be really extraordinary, too. Mm-hmm. And we don't really have extraordinary photo or video evidence. Really extraordinary.
1: Um, well, there's always CGI.
0: Yeah, and then there's CG on top of that, and um, there's a lot of issue, so it's a really good point.
1: And I don't think, you know, I mean, the, the fact that something is not picked up on radar seems to not really matter, because there's case after case after case where there was never a radar return on an object that people clearly see, which is, you know, I don't think it you know, it's, it's probably just another capability of whatever it is.
0: Mm-hmm. But what's exciting are the cases that do have radar, and there are quite a few. Mm-hmm. So the Nimitz has some radar um, yeah. uh, data that comes with it. And speaking of Tyler Rogaway, there are a couple great cases that he, um, you know, broke to the media and wrote about that had mm-hmm. some uh, anomalous radar returns as well especially that Colorado, Utah, I think it was uh, think Oregon. It was, yeah, Oregon, the Oregon mm-hmm. case. That was California, Oregon case that uh, had the radar. And that, that adds a lot. In fact, there was another case in New Mexico. He wrote a bait about that got more media attention. But uh, all we had there was some pilots talking back and forth about something they saw where he really likes this California, Oregon case better. Because it not only has the witness testimony from the pilots and the audio of that, but it also has radar uh, returns of something really strange. So, plus they scrambled,
1: uh, they scrambled a jet after that too. I do believe. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, the jet got there too late; it was already gone. But you're right. Mm. And uh, that other really crazy part of that case is that they, you had the FAA people talking about. Um, Should we have the commercial aircraft follow this object and not land in Oregon? And they decided against that because they didn't know if whatever this object was was hostile. So they didn't want to put civilians in harm's way. So they let the commercial aircraft land or the civilian aircraft land. And that's why they lost visual of the object. By the time the jets got there that were scrambled, uh, the object was nowhere to be found. Wow. Um, also,
1: the conversation I had with Tyler recently, it seems to to me that the FAA has loosened up um, as far as, you know, being cooperative in uh, information when it comes to UFOs. At least they are listening to him. It may be because, you know, he's a journalist and uh, he writes about aviation and maybe he's connected in that way, but they have actually shared a lot of things with him. And as you know, that's not the way it used to be.
0: No, not at all. And they wouldn't share anything. They would just refer you to New Fork, um, which is a website Mm -hmm. ran by Peter Davenport, one guy, you know, that collects UFO sightings, or they may refer you to Bigelow um, to just report your sighting. But that was about it. And which was shocking that they wouldn't want to know or look into it and they wouldn't share information. But like you uh, said, even Tyler has been shocked at the level of cooperation he's received from them regarding these cases he's looked into.
1: Right. Even radio, um, I think even radio recordings, conversations, mm-hmm. and, you know, pretty amazing.
0: It is. And you know what would be interesting to ask um, Robert Powell, if he has had that same experience, I have not approached the mm. FAA for anything in the last few years. I used to when I was a MUFON field investigator, and I would get that run around. But um, I, I believe Robert Powell has because he's so actively researching these cases that he would probably... It'd be interesting to see if from a UFO investigator's perspective, if they've had that... Uh, same kind of experience of the FAA being more forthcoming.
1: Right. I wonder if they um, I wonder if they hang on to the material from past you know, incidents for, you know, just thinking back to like two thousand six O'Hare.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know that I wonder if they I mean because they wouldn't share anything about that really. Mm-hmm. And um you wonder if they have that somewhere archived. Yeah,
0: I wonder. I know that uh, recently, the uh, Robert had shared with me that um, the way you access radar changed, and I think he said you can't FOIA FAA data anymore. So you have to FOIA um, military radar installations to get radar mm. data. So, wow, um, yeah,
1: wow, wow. Um mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to talk to you about: Did you you probably read this that uh, Harry Reid? um purportedly is pushing for more UFO research.
0: Yeah, he just had this interview where they asked him about his UFO stuff and um which is great. He did not shy away from it. He said, Yeah. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I started this program. I'm happy I did. And he said we need to look into this stuff. It's important. And he welcomes, you know, fellow politicians and others to, you know, advocate and to continue you know, looking into what he feels is a very important topic.
1: Right. And, uh, I, I'm really glad that he's doing that because, you know, you know, I mean, it might, he might start the, the ball rolling. I mean, he was an important, he wasn't just a Senator. Um, you know, he was, uh, uh, I think he was a whip. Wasn't he also?
0: Yes. Well, he was yeah. the, uh, majority leader. Uh, yeah. The majority leader. That's,
1: that's pretty big. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Good so he stuff. was
0: big, very yeah. influential, and I think that's really important. And of course, we're in a period of time, and that was my last interview with Nick Pope, where uh, we have these congressional subcommittees talking to David Fravor and other witnesses and people involved um, with the phenomena. And you know, uh, Lou Elizondo, it's something we talked about recently, but he also wrote about this that. He's like, I shouldn't be. This shouldn't be the gospel according to Lou. Um, I'm not a Mm -hmm. spokesperson. I ran the project. It wasn't my job to share information. And it still isn't. So what it is his job to do and what they're trying to do is to get those people with the information to be forthcoming with information and to share information. And uh, that means it's a lot of uh, that aspect is a lot of behind the scenes work that we won't see. But uh, we can get little hints at the fruits of those efforts, and we have. And uh, that's what Nick Pope wrote this Guardian article about that we interviewed him about last, which is that you know, these subcommittees have been discussing and having briefings and talking to people, and so things have been moving forward in that aspect. We don't know exactly what to the stars or, or Elizondo specifically has done, He's alluded to a little bit, um, but they are, like he wrote in that article, you know, greasing the wheels to make all this happen. And so it sounds like, and from what I understand from various interviews, is that um, there was more pushback when he first left than there is now. And uh, so things are are moving in a very positive direction that way, which... Uh, who knows? I mean, that leads for an, an interesting possibility as far as the future goes. Is, uh, you know, will we have then an opening uh, of this topic? And, and so much so that there is another public facing investigative group that the government mm-hmm. uh, or the military sponsors or creates. And if if that's so, you know, how will the public react to that? Certainly the conspiracy-minded are not going to believe anything they have to say. And honestly, Mm -hmm. we know in the past there's been so much spin or or just false information, unfortunately. I hate to say that, but we just know there's – we've been – you know, we've got that video out there. I've got a video about where I go over government secrecy and UFOs. And, you know, we haven't been told the truth over the years. So – how can we believe they'll tell us the truth in the future? And so, it's going to be interesting to see what results of this. But uh, kind of to your point, that uh, thing things seem to be unrolling, and the banana, you know, peel keeps being pulled back. It it, it seems as though something's going to happen. Right, right. I wonder
1: how um, Lou Elizondo and others over at To the Stars Academy really view the UFO community or if they just think they want to get this information to the public and you know, a lot of the UFO community or, you know, bashers or fringe or whatever. I wonder what they really think about that. If that ever comes up in an interview.
0: Well, I'll tell you that. Um, I think that, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, misrepresent what anybody has said, nor share things they don't really feel they want to be shared. However, um, I think what you're asking is an important question. And I, th- it, I think that um, there has been a larger negative pushback than was expected um, by all parties, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that that has uh, my guess would be, and I think it really has at least in a, a bit, you know, discerned some of them a bit. Um, and I know that is I think it's a similar experience that Bigelow went through when he was, you know, doing more uh, public facing work in in this arena. And he's shared his experience with George Knapp in interviews before on Coast to Coast. And um, that reminds me of a line of, of information I want to talk about here too. Uh, but, you know, Bigelow has a lot of money. He wanted to really spend time and effort researching this field. He funded a lot of the top researchers in their work and you would think that the community would be very positive about Mm. all of that but that's unfortunately not what happened you have all of these haters and and naysayers and in fact it, it there was a huge amount of negativity and um although Bigelow had that experience I don't know that uh I don't think Lou, Lou might not have even noticed that or been aware, but I I don't know if he, and I don't even know if Tom would have um, felt that they would have faced the same thing, but they certainly are. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is disheartening for all of them a bit, but they can move past it because they've got a, they're very passionate about their, their end results. I don't think that, you know, along those lines, I don't think that we would
1: in the community, you know, possibly, um, you know, George Knapp may know something before others, but for the, and he's a journalist, of course, but he does, you know, get involved in this topic, but I don't think as a whole, we would be privy to any new information any more than anyone else Is kind of where I'm going with this.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I, well, although, you know, some of us, uh, who have, relationships uh, are priv- are somewhat, we do get to find out before everyone else. I mean, um, I got phone calls from, you know, I got the call from DeLong before he announced to the stars in October so I could be ready for it. Um, uh, even now, I'm being given clues as to the future of what they're working on and may be able to share with people, some of which I can share and some I can't. Um, which is not uncommon. I mean, often when we're, when I'm invited as a journalist for the press to especially something regarding entertainment, um, I'm told, you know, I'm given all the information but told this is embargoed for a month or two or three or four. Um, you know, you can release this on March 22nd, and I keep in close contact so I know when the embargo is lifted so I can share the information. Uh, so it's a common practice. Uh, especially Mm. with the media and uh so yeah so um in that aspect at least those of us who are kind of ufo journalists uh are given some insight kind of like you know ryan sprague i know and you and i have been given some project blue book you know material before the rest of the public um so we can help get prepared to release it when it's releasable and uh Get excited about it, so for instance, you know you had all the episodes so you still have them you've seen all the episodes of Project Blue Book, even though they haven't all come out We've only we're only maybe halfway in, and uh, but you don't reveal what's in the last three episodes until well, after for, they're out
1: yeah. so someone just has to make me an offer that's all
0: ha <laughs> <laughs> But along those lines in the last minute or so that we have here is that uh, what is really blows my mind is in my last story. About Project Blue Book, my review of the what third episode, mm-hmm. I reference, because in in that episode, you know, a, a car was stopped and there was an electro, uh, really kind of these shocks, like electrical shocks, but uh, mm-hmm. and the shocks I haven't heard of, but electrical um, malfunctions or issues with vehicles and stopping during UFO sightings have happened. Oh, a lot. One of these cases, that's a really good case, happened uh, just a few years ago and uh, 2009, I believe it was, and it was a star team project. The star team is the the group that was funded and working with Bigelow. And Hmm. so this is the group that people said, oh, it was all secret and they were hiding stuff from the public. No, not at all. In fact, I wrote about all of those great cases that Bigelow funded and they were able to research. It's totally public. There was no hiding of anything. And, uh, and it's just a great case where this person saw this cigar-shaped craft with lights on it. It was above his car. His car stopped. Uh, when the Star Team guys got there, uh, were able to fly out there with great equipment thanks to, to Bigelow they were able to find out that the car had a very strong, strange electromagnetic field to it. Uh, so mm. it's a really great case. And it was just funny reading that story again uh, and sharing it with everybody because I haven't looked at that story since uh, this New York Times article came out. And the funny thing is is I didn't know that, that back then that that funding Bigelow was spending on that project – was coming from the Department of Defense. So, yeah, that is amazing. It's right. really crazy, huh?
1: Yeah, well, I know we're out of time, but I just wanted to just throw this out, um, that there was someone in Russia that had a very, very similar experience, cigar-shaped UFO, made all the cars car stall wow. in a mountain pass. It's really great. Uh, talk directly to the person.
0: That is a very similar situation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it happened. Weird stuff, man. Right, all right, well, that's it for the show. so thank you so much, Martin, for joining us and uh you know, spending the time to talk about some of the news out there. uh got some great shows coming up of course, you can check out martin on podcast u f o
1: dot com thank you
0: dot com dot com thank you or just dot com
1: both thank you, thank oh, you, okay. alejandro. my Adolf. pleasure, thank yeah. you.
0: So just a couple things that I want to remind people. Uh, Please do go to the Alejandro Advantage, or if you're on my social media, just check that out. And go check out some of my live uh, shows from Thursday evening. Martin's there often. Mm -hmm. Chase Kletzky was there this last time, actually. Uh, and some other people. So yeah, so they are a lot of fun, and I go over a lot of news and then give you some insight and background and then go into some of these other stories like I was uh, talking about earlier. And hopefully you've seen on... uh, Also, you can find these on my social media. You can also find these on my blog, my new blog, AlejandroTrojas.com. You can't find all of these things now, but I'll be posting them up real soon, but I'm going to keep that updated for everyone. But you know what I put there, and you... Should check this out too, Martin. It's kind of fun. Uh, At AlejandroTrojas.com, I made a list of uh, a lot of the media things I've been involved with, and it's a really long list. I was surprised, but you can Mm. find links to lots of the videos, uh, interviews I've done for news. Um, You can see a link to my my taking the Kardashians to Area Fifty One stuff like that, and tons and tons and tons of mainstream articles where uh, they've mentioned my work or, or interviewed me. So it was it's a lot of fun. I was kind of proud putting that list together. But I'll be putting a lot of stuff there so you can see it uh, as well as my social media. So if you want to watch those videos, please do. And then uh, take out my Den of Geek articles because I do give a lot of background into those Blue Book uh, cases. And then, for instance, when there are phenomena that happened in the television show that weren't about the case they were covering but did happen in other high profile cases, then I review those other high profile cases with links as well. And I also include links back to the original blue book files on all of these cases as well. So you can go actually see the Project Blue Book files. And I don't see any other reviewers or writing writers who are writing about Project Blue Book linking to the Blue Book Files for some reason. So, if you want to go see those and find out how you can read all the blue book files, go check out those articles. But uh, I also don't forget uh, international UFO Congress. Uh, we've got uh, more information forthcoming about speakers and tickets in the next month or so. But we've got lots of cool products that you can see at the store. So check out the store, and then uh, and we've got free videos up. So speaking of. Uh, some of the new stuff coming out. Um, you know, we've got a, a debate with Stanton Friedman and Jeremy Corbell. And I did want to mention, I, I saw Nick Pope at the Snowfest, Alien Snowfests in Big Bear, California. Hmm. Karen just decided in the last minute, hey, let's go out there and uh, see if they'll give us a table. So we did, and we sold some stuff and hung out with some of our friends. So it was a lot of fun. Um, um, got to talk to people. But Stanton was there. So really, yeah, it was great to see him. And we did get because I keep making sure that he's going to do it. We did get a confirmation. He will be uh, speaking at the UFO Congress, his last presentation at the UFO Congress. So we'll be doing something special with that um, and and him at the UFO Congress, because he's, of course, such an important, great guy. And uh, I know Jeremy felt he won that debate with uh, Stanton over Bob Lazar. But I don't think everybody feels that way, especially if you look in the the comments. And uh, I didn't feel it was really one-sided at all. Uh, So Mm. that was a lot of fun. But you can see that on the UFO Congress YouTube page. Uh, You can watch that video. Yeah, I'm interested to see that. Oh, you haven't seen that yet? No, no. Oh, yeah, you'll have to go check that out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yep, just the UFO Congress YouTube page where we also have a lot of other great lectures up there for free. We have our UFO Jeopardies that were a lot of fun where we had kind of a game show with um, UFO researchers. And I've got a talk up there from Lee Spiegel, which is really good because Lee's awesome, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, so check that out. Otherwise, I want to thank Micah Hanks for the opening and closed music. People are always asking about it because it's so cool. Just Or not Micah Hanks. It's his brother, Caleb Hanks. Caleb Hanks uh, for the opening and closed music. In fact, Go look for Caleb Hanks on Patreon if you want to get more of that music. He shares it all for free, and he's creating new music that's super cool all the time. I love it. Thanks to Systematics for the bumper music. And here's the end part where we say thank you to the people, Martin, just so you're ready. Oh, yes. And thank you all the listeners for being here. Thank you so much for coming and patronizing the show. Until next time adios mu much- much-